Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hockey is back. Let's go, Rangers. Hockey is back, baby. Hockey is back, baby. Alexis Lafreniere and the boys are going to lead us back to the Stanley Cup. Let's go, Rangers. Hockey is back, baby. Time for the Islanders to build on what we saw last season. Let's go, Islanders. Hockey is back. Let's go, Rangers. Hockey is back. Let's go, baby. Hockey is back. Let's go, Rangers! Hockey's back. Hockey's finally back. Hockey's back! Hockey is back. Hockey is back. Hockey's back! Le hockey est de retour. Hockey is back, baby. Or as I say in my language, hockey is sur. Hey, guess what? Hockey's back. Hockey is back. And we got you covered here on the back check. Check back in with us. Every Wednesday and Sunday. From roommates to co-hosts. This is the Back Check with Brendan Azov and Stefan Rosner, your go-to destination for New York hockey and NHL news. And now it's time to drop the puck. Here are your hosts, Brendan Azov and Stefan Rosner. And welcome to episode three of the Back Check, everybody. I'm Brendan. With me, as always, is Stefan. And we got some hockey on TV right now. NHL action is on TV for the first time in what feels like forever. And it's the start of the 2020-21 NHL season. We've been talking about when it's going to happen. The date was uncertain at one point. We finally got that start date. And now it's just been a countdown ever since. And it's a good game on right now with Pittsburgh up one nothing early on in the uh, late on in the first, I should say. 
Actually, it's tied, Brendan. Oh, it is tied. You're right. I'm looking at the old score. I'm on a delay, like a, a real bad delay. Like I'm watching this in a different country right now. It is a tie game and good because I have the over five and a half. That's great for you. But I mean, we're back. Hockey's back. And we definitely waiting a long time. And this game to start, you know, Pittsburgh versus Philly. Heated rivalry. We'll see a lot of rivalry games this season. But let's get this show on the road. First, Brendan, for the first time ever, when we did our picks today, we both had the same exact pick. So if you want to just tell the listeners who we had tonight. Yeah, I don't think we're ever going to have the same picks again. Uh, yep. it, it's very rare that we agree. And somebody had commented on my Twitter and said, yeah, I don't think you guys are going to have the same picks tomorrow, which is <laughs> not wrong. But, <laughs> I mean, uh, the Islanders are going to lose tomorrow. We already know that. But today we picked uh, the Penguins to win this game, which was a, a weird pick for both of us to have because the Flyers are the favorite coming in. We picked the Maple Leafs to win. We picked the Lightning, the Oilers, and the Avalanche. So consensus across the, the two-man board here at the back check. Uh, we will see if we go five for five. Yeah, so let's get this show on the road. So probably the biggest news from last week is that Mike Hoffman, who was on a professional trial with the St. Louis Blues, has signed a deal, a deal that is one year, $4 million. Now the question becomes, well, the Islanders could afford that. Other teams can afford that. Why did this happen? I think the safe reason that he wanted to play in St. Louis and plus Tarasenko being out, he's got a hold of Phil, but after tw- uh, season last year with 29 goals and 30 assists, he will definitely do that. And again, he wants to be in St. Louis. One of the most underrated snipers, I think, in this league. And a lot of it has to do with the drama that went on in Ottawa when he was there with Eric Carlson and, and that whole situation that was very unfortunate. But since then, he hasn't really been talked about as an elite sniper. I remember on that Ottawa team, they were always like, Mike Hoffman's this up-and-coming kid. He can flat-out shoot the puck, and nothing's changed. I mean, he had 59 points last season, 29 goals. The guy can score. So for the Blues to get a bargain deal on a sniper like that is huge for them. And, I mean, going from a Florida situation, which he was loaded with weapons, he now goes to a St. Louis situation where it's very similar. Not the same high-end offensive talent, but he will definitely fill the shoes of Tarasenko at least better than any option the Blues had currently on their roster. Yeah, and this makes me think about the Taylor Hall deal where Colorado offered him around this, and he declined it to join Buffalo because the money. Well, Hoffman did the exact opposite here. He found a place he wants to play where he thinks he could win, and he signs for a friendly deal. So, I mean, that's what you want to see in this sport. I know players want to chase money and can't bank, you know, bash Taylor Hall because he's probably going to have a great year with Eichel. He's not going to stay there, even though people really believe he will. I just don't see it. But good for Hoffman, and he gets that done on, uh, deal done before the season begins. And like I said, big shoes to fill, but I think he'll be able to do just fine. Hey, if he winds up putting up a lot of points next to Eichel, why wouldn't he stay there? That's an up-and-coming uh, team, too. I just I can't see him staying in that market. I just If he has a really, really good year, I feel like he's going to get a lot more somewhere else, and you know, it's, it's Buffalo, man. They got to they gotta. He doesn't just have to be good with Eichel. The team has to be good. If him and Eichel do great and they look terrible, it's just a – you know, how many more years yeah. is he going to waste not winning? But I think the bigger thing is that, you know, Mike Hoffman did the thing. No one expected a tryout. That was ludicrous, but it worked out in their favor. And we go from there. The next biggest news, I think, what's well, going to be is Keith Yandel. I don't know what Florida is doing, but his streak of how many games is it now? 866 games, consecutive 866 games in the NHL will be no more when he is a healthy scratch when Florida kicks off their season. And it doesn't make any sense to me. That's a tough way to lose an Ironman streak. 
I know I mean, we, we had talked about Andrew Cagliano and he lost it because of a suspension. Uh, by the way, BS, BS suspension. First, first defense, knowing what was on the line, find the guy. It wasn't like a, a ridiculous hit when he, yeah. I remember it was, it was like, okay, borderline suspension and the league did him dirty, but Kipiano can't blame the league. It's Florida. And apparently, you know, he's talked with uh, the media and he hasn't heard a word from the media, uh, from management yet. He said he's just going to show up to practice and hope he plays. But for a guy that was fifth on the team in points last year and guys ahead of them was Dadanov and Hoffman who are no longer there, what are you doing? Unless unless there was a falling yeah. out with management or he doesn't fit their system. But Keith Yandel seems to be a stand-up guy. His teammates love him. He's one of those characters in the locker room. He plays, I think, a little under 20 minutes per game. I, it just doesn't make any sense to me, especially for a team that's was offense-based, got lit up in the playoffs because their defense wasn't good, Bobrovsky wasn't good. Now you're not going to play one of those defensemen? Come on. I mean, it's a tough way to lose your Ironman streak when you're healthy, right? You, you think that the only way you want that to end is either an injury, uh, which you don't want, or a retirement. So to be healthy, to be able to play, and to tell he's going to be a scratch is it's a tough way to lose it. But, yeah, I mean, Andal's not known for being a defensive defenseman, so if, yeah. have, if they have a replacement there that – they think is more suitable to solidify their own end. I could see it, but still you're, you, you got a veteran guy. Like I think you would give him the benefit of the doubt to start. And if this isn't a end season move where he looks bad, right? It's before the season. So to me, it's very odd timing on all of this, but Hey, Joel Quenville's behind their bench. And I think he knows what to do. Is it two to one now? It is now two to one. Flyers. Two to one, take I think it was, is it Gustafson again? Another no, power play goal, though. The first one, right? Yeah, so oh, Philly's two for two on the power play. That's nice. Oh, that's a that's a point shot from it's like the same exact play they had. Gustafson yeah. shoots it and it wasn't deflected, but same exact setup. You think Pittsburgh would learn? Oh boy. Oh boy. That almost yeah, was deflected twice, but you know, Jari didn't see that one. But anyway. Like looking at that replay, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Nolan Patrick's back playing. And that, that's good to see. Young kid, young kid, he migraines and all that stuff out for a long time. Missed a whole entire season, basically. Everyone's labeling him a bust because of that. That's out of his control. It's not his play. Now he's back in the lineup. Let's see if he gets credit for that goal because it did go right past him. Regardless, he makes that goal because he gets in the way and confuses yeah. Jar a little bit. But it's 2-1 as the first period comes to an end. In the first period ever of this chaotic season, that's going to be chaotic as you move on here. Um, retirement. Jay Bomeister, after dealing with a, a heart issue last year where he collapsed on the bench, has officially called it a career after 1,240 career games. He's one of those guys on the back end that did his job all the time. He won a cup with the St. Louis Blues. And for him, he said in the media, once that happened and he was out of the hospital, he knew it, he wasn't going to play again. Yeah, yeah it's uh, it's tough. Uh, that's another one. You're talking about the Andal is tough way down that Ironman streak. But Jay Bomeister, great career. And that's going to come to a close because of a really just traumatic incident for everybody involved on the bench. I'm glad he's healthy. We're glad he survived that. And I mean, I'm sure he'll find a post hockey career in the NHL somewhere because that guy had some heck of a defensive career in the NHL. Speaking of post hockey career, if Keith Yandel somehow doesn't play this year and maybe decides to retire, spitting chicklets, make him an, a host every week. He's, they interviewed him all the time and he is hysterical, full of stories. I think he would fit in right in. He might have to take a pay cut. Yeah, but, absolute beauty, though. Absolutely, he really, absolutely. Is. He really is. His his yeah. stories when he was getting even his interviews are just 
you, you watch the videos of him going sunk around the uh the end balls <laughs> when he takes the slap shots. It's just awesome. Great personality. So he definitely has a career in the media, whether it is like the spit and chicklets or podcast route, or if he does go on the TV, I could see him doing that too. Yeah. Speaking of TV, we'll get to that a little bit later, but Willie O'Ree, the first um, black person to play in the national hockey league. He wasn't the first black American. I think he's Canadian. Val James was the first American who doesn't get enough credit. I actually connected with him on Twitter this year. Did you know that Brendan? I did first not. Part, Val James, he doesn't get enough credit. Obviously, he played a part in transcending the sport, making it you know for everyone. But the stuff that Willie O'Ree had to go through, if you you read his documentary and all that stuff, I mean, it's as you expect, like Jackie Robinson in baseball. You were doing something during that time that is severely frowned upon. He was hit with all the words, all the big hits. But you know what? He fought and fought. And I, you know, I heard NHL players today, uh, whether you're African American, Canadian. Um, that he really changed the game for them. And his jersey number, number 22, will be retired on February 18th by the Boston Bruins. So well-deserved, definitely way too late, I believe. Yeah. This happened way in advance, but thank God they're doing it now, and he definitely deserves it. Yeah, I mean, this isn't a jersey retirement because of his statistical. It's because of his historical impact. So in that sense, yeah, it is way too late. I mean, we saw the what the MLB did with Jackie Robinson as soon as he broke that color barrier and you started to shift times and was known they made a Jackie Robinson day. So I don't know if we're going to see a Willie O'Ree day in the NHL, but it's about time his jersey gets put up there so that when people go to TD Garden to watch a Bruins game, you can see his name up there, his number in the rafters, and understand his impact and what he did to the game because it doesn't really get talked about that much. right? It I mean, we, we talk about it during Black History Month and on NBCSN, but we don't, as hockey fans look and go, Willie O'Ree did this. Like we do with baseball every year. We always talk about Jackie Robinson. So I, I think it's important now for the game to look at Willie O'Ree as the icon that he is while we still have him around and, and still active in the hockey community. And I think it's more important now than ever. Moving on, Brendan, you ever picture yourself $26.8 million in debt because Evander Kane is and – let me tell you, I told him last year, stop betting the Sharks. He didn't listen to me. This is this is what happens. You know, you can't bet on your hometown team. They were terrible last year, and he paid the price. Obviously, I'm kidding. It's illegal for him to bet on his own team. But clearly, he has an issue because, Brendan, he's on the third year of a seven-year, $7 million deal. And, yeah, that's about, my math correctly, three-plus years of his salary, just not his. He filed for bankruptcy. He's going to play this year. The San Jose Sharks Hockey Now uh, website, they interviewed the head coach, Bogner, and he said he's going to play. So I don't know what this does for a locker room. I don't know. I mean, shouldn't you – I can't, can't even hire a financial advisor because he has no money. Yeah, declaring bankruptcy is tough. I don't know what that whole thing is. I can't imagine being $26.8 million in debt because I can't imagine having $26, let alone $26.8 million. So uh, I'm not sure how that process works for him, but – Hey, uh, I feel bad for the guy. Uh, he's going to make his money back. I, I don't know how that whole bankruptcy situation plays out, especially when you have that much money. But you talked about it to me earlier. This isn't the first one. I know Rangers defenseman Jack Johnson had an issue with his parents, and he had to declare bankruptcy. So there's been a history of this in not only hockey but professional sports. So it's not a rarity. It's He's not the first one. Obviously, there, money is something that everyone wants, and once you have it, it's hard to – know how to use it i guess per se so interesting situation but when i got that alert i said how much that's a lot <laughs> i mean 
Brian Trotter is another one, and that was a tough time for him. He spoke about it as well. But you look back, and you know this is not the correct order of events. I'm pulling this deep from my brain from last year. I know he was sued by a casino because he hadn't paid back what he owed. I know he had domestic uh, violence issues. I don't know what the, the off-ice antics for Kane. I don't know how that affects a locker. It can't be good because it takes attention away from your team and what you're doing when the focus should be on getting ready for this season when it's about a team. And hopefully he's, he's made the most of his time in San Jose thus far with teammates building chemistry, someone to help him out financially if need be. But yeah, he was sued by not only the casino, but now his bank is going after him. It's just a messy situation. And given this, the year that this has been, this is the last thing the Sharks want to deal with, especially a Sharks team that is looking to vastly, vastly improve. And they're going to need a Vander Kane to be that guy on offense. Yeah, you talk about how weird of a year it was, how wacky it was last year for Evander Kane, but he still had 26 goals and 21 assists. So despite all that stuff going on off the ice, he handled it well on the ice. And for a Sharks team that was really depleted up front, he was doing that just purely on his own skill. So now he's going to get a couple of guys back on, yeah, he's got this whole thing going on, but he still gets to play in the NHL. He's still going to go out there, and I expect another great year for Evander Kane. So we'll see how he can translate this now really prevalent off-ice issue because it wasn't just an issue that he had that was labeled as a personal matter and nobody knew what was going on. This is public information now that everyone knows, and there's going to be a lot of eyes on him, especially in San Jose. It gets worse. The bank not only sued Kane, they they sued the San Jose Sharks. Nice. I don't know how lawsuits work. I don't know if that even move could work, but I think what they were trying to do, which they did, was get the attention of the team because clearly if he's not going to pay – you got to look at his employer. I don't. I don't know how it works at this level. I don't know if anyone can see someone and sue their employer for them not paying. It seems like a, a personal matter. But as always, let's move on. Corey Perry is waived by Montreal. Now, granted, we we're seeing a lot of players waived strategically to figure out some stuff for you know finances. But Corey Perry is one of those guys that Montreal brought in to add a physical presence to the game. They have a lot of young players that are skill based, speed based. They need a guy like this in their lineup. And I mean, we talked about it off air too, is this guy was huge in the playoff for the stars. I know he had the game winning goal in uh overtime of game five. He took some questionable penalties, but he had five goals in those 27 playoffs for the stars. Real big, big guy that does the little things as well. Obviously he's not the Corey Perry we saw when he was dominating with the ducks with Getzloff and all that, but this is still a guy that as a veteran could do those things to help a club, especially a Canadians club that's looking to turn that page and become a force again in the NHL. Yeah. It's a, why sign him in the first place? Like that's the thing. It's obviously his role is very simple. He's not going to be that thirty goal guy he once was. So if you're getting him there, similar to what the Maple Leafs did with Thornton, use him. So uh, I was a little surprised when I saw that he was waived, but it shows the the downward spiral that Perry has taken in a short time. When he was still on Anaheim, he was scoring. I remember that playoff goal he scored in Triple OT against Talbot, and you were like, "Wow, this guy still got it." And he did. He showed some of that in the playoffs last year with Dallas. He still looked good. And then when the games mattered, he showed up. So I don't know why you wouldn't want that type of character on your team. He's not going to play 20 minutes a night, but you don't. he doesn't have to. He's a gritty guy. He's always been a gritty guy. So he's a good fourth liner. Uh, weird move by Montreal. But they did have a great offseason. They do look like they're poised to make a push, at least for the postseason. I'm not sure if they're going to get there yet. But you would think that eventually somebody like a Perry would be integral in that. Yeah, I mean, he reminds me a little bit of Anila Kovalchuk, a guy yep. that has shown skill in the past. Now, granted, they're a lot older now, but like you said, he's a gritty player, and in the playoffs, that that does wonders. The question is, Macho's got to get there first in the toughest division they've played in in, in quite some time. 
Um, Mike Milbury is no longer with NBCSN, and that was a positive move for the network just because, well, first off, the stuff that comes out of his mouth is is ludicrous. It's just terrible. And they replaced it with uh, Ryan Callahan and Moore. Dominic Moore is some guy that played for the Islanders, the Rangers. I know we had a – the year his wife died, that was with the Rangers, right? He took a year off and came back with the Rangers. He played with the Rangers twice. I yeah. actually got to meet Dom Moore when I was – I was like the mini ranger skating on the garden. We saw him running late outside of the game. He still took the time while he was running late to stop by really great guy. And from what everyone talks about, you know, what he had to endure during his playing career, forget, uh, everyone forgets his brother was the one that got assaulted on the ice by Todd Bertuzzi. And then his wife died. He remarried, came back. He played for like 11 teams. He bounced around the league, only one year contracts, never caved it in at all. Just a, a class act guy, great guy. And now, Let's see how he could do in the booth. Well, not the booth. Is he going to the studio? He's going to the studio, right? I mean, he's probably going in the studio like what Patrick Sharp did, but Mike Babcock yeah. also joins it. So, you know, Canadians God. cannot be happy with this. Can't wait for his first F-bomb live on air. F-bomb, terrible take. I don't know. He's going to try to coach from the from the box. It didn't work when he was behind the bench in Toronto, so I don't know why it's going to work now. But let's let's dive into now before we get to our interview at six thirty with Brandon Hawkins, ECHL player. Let's let's dive into some Islanders news. First off, I'm going to read to you the roster real quick that was given to the league today, which right now is going to change. Come tomorrow, there were moves made again. It's all strategic. Lemerel does everything behind the the closed curtain. Dal Cole is on IR. He has to wait at least seven days. To play, I, it's very weird how Dal Cole was in practice today and now is on IR. But anyway, the forward group is Bailey, Barzal, Bavillier, Sezikis, Clutterbuck. Dal Cole is on the roster even though he's on IR. Eberly, Johnston, Komarov, who was waived. Lee, Martin, Nelson, Pajot, Wallstrom. Defenseman Aho, the Sebastian all the Islanders have, not the one in Carolina. Noah Dobson, Andy Green, Thomas Hickey, Letty, Mayfield, Pellick, Pulak. Taxi squad, which is this where it gets interesting. Bellows, Sarnik, Kavula, Skarik. And then your goalies are Sorokin and Varlamov. I think Bellows tomorrow gets put on the actual roster, and I think he plays opening night alongside Peugeot and Ross Johnston. Skarik is there because Lamarillo stated that he believes he'll have a contract with Schneider in a couple of days. But again, this roster is going to be different come tomorrow. It's just strategically being done, and Lou Lamarillo has his ways. I can't really go at him because... You know, he did his job this offseason. I know we lost Taves, and I know, you know, Dobson got big holes, uh, big shoes to fill. But all in all, Barzal was signed, Green's back, and we'll get to Green contract now. But, Brent, you have anything to say about the roster? That's a, that's a fifth-place roster. <laughs> oh, jeez. All right, well, before we get to Andy Green, I think one thing we have to talk about is Zekas. And during the last scrimmage on Sunday, him and Martin sandwiched Thomas Hickey behind the net. And usually guys like that on the fourth line sandwiching Hickey is going to do more damage to Hickey than them. But unfortunately, Sezikis came up favoring his wrist. He left the scrimmage. Initial reports from Trotz was it looks more positive than negative, but you never want to hear the words negative in it. And this is a guy that missed 20 games last year with a skate laceration. When the playoffs came and the fourth line was healthy, this line was back to its usual ways, being the force that this this team needs them to be. Now, if you were to miss time, that would significantly hurt them. Yes, they have Ross Johnson, less they have Leo Komarov. But Zekas is also in his last year of his contract. And if this is going to be the last year for this fourth line with Martin getting a four-year deal, it does you know, create questions. But fortunately, Zekas is – they didn't say he's ready to go tomorrow. They said he's okay to play. So my guess is he's not 100%, but that would have been such a big loss. So thankfully, 
thankfully he will play. Well, I mean, a fourth line player like Zizekas is, is gritty. So I'm not going to say anything bad. I, I know you see you rolling your eyes already. What I was going to say is that his game is physical. So if you could see him just like favoring one side when he's going in for hits or not finishing as well as he normally does, then obviously he's not 100%. I think that'll be big too because if that is an impact in tomorrow's game and he does suit up and he's not 100%, he can't really get as physical as normal. The Rangers defense is going to have a little more time to move that puck. It does open up a little more things. So that's something to look out for. And I'm sure his first shift you'll notice right away if he's crashing through bodies or if he's pulling up a little bit more than usual. I was just going to say, we saw that with uh, Clutterbuck when he came back from his skate cut. He was very hesitant to go into the corners where he makes his living being that four-checking guy that finishes hits. He was scared. He, he admitted, yeah, it's it's tough. I have to pretty much, you know, it's like when you have a limp and you finally, okay, you could stop limping. You still limp just in case you don't want to feel that pain. So fortunately, Sezikis is back, and like we'll say, we'll see right away tomorrow um, how ready he really is. Next, Andy Green signs a one-year deal worth seven hundred thousand, but there's a catch. There are bonuses, and this is how it breaks down: ten games, six hundred seventy-five thousand dollars; fifteen games, six hundred seventy-five thousand dollars; twenty games, six hundred seventy-five. Excuse me, six hundred fifty thousand dollars. That's a total of two million in bonuses. He's going to play alongside Dobson. He's going to be a big part of Dobson improving this year. We saw Boychuk with Dobson last year, but Andy Green's a sturdy defenseman. So averaged 19 something minutes, almost 40 years old, if that already. So I expect him to hit all these bonuses and have a nice $2 million bonus come the season's end. Yeah. He's hitting them. He's too good of a defenseman not to hit them. He's been reliable his whole career. Why wouldn't you play him? And if he plays, he's hitting them. Simple as that. Yeah. And Sorokin also spoke to the media yesterday. This was his first time talking to the media and, Right off the bat, he told he told the guys on the staff and said, please ask me the questions slowly. That way I can answer them in English. And for the most part, he answered every question in English. Some of the questions he had to go through the translator to understand what they were trying to say. Us Long Islanders, you know, we speak a lot differently, so he definitely wasn't used to that. But the big takeaways from that interview was he likes the beach, very peaceful. What a Long Island thing to say. He doesn't like the city, too many people, a Long Island thing to say. And I think the biggest takeaway was he called Varlamov and said that he had been like a brother to him. And we know Varlamov was signed pretty much for this reason, to bring him over, get him comfortable. But the fact that he's really taken him under his wing, and even Thomas Grice, he spoke about Grice, and Grice helped him in the bubble. And just think about this for a second. Thomas Grice, while the Islanders are in a major playoff run, is helping the guy that's going to replace him. Knowing full well knew that that was it. And as professional... I think that just shows the amount of respect Grice has for the sport, for his teammates, because granted, he didn't have to help him. He didn't have to help him at all. He could have been like, you know what? I did what I had to do for this Islander program. I know I'm leaving. That's that. But he took the time to help this kid get acclimated, and you can't say enough about what Thomas Grice did. for. The- Thomas Grice was the main reason this organization was able to turn the page. Yes, adding Letty. Yes, adding Boychuk. But Thomas Grice in that, whether it was a backup role or starting at times, even in the playoffs against Florida, that big that big series to get them to the second round for the first time in a, since 1993, he did his job, and you can't thank him enough. Yeah, that's a, that's a character move right there. And regarding Sorokin's quotes, the first two are completely irrelevant. I think somebody that lives on Long Island told him to say that so that people will go, oh, well, well, he's really getting home here. And the third is really impactful because that's going to be a dynamic duo for the next two years until Varlamo's contract's over. And he can move on, and Sorokin can solidify himself as the number one. So that one does have an impact, but 
We will uh, move on to the New York Rangers now, who also finalized their roster. And the only surprise really on it was Keandre Miller. Uh, Keandre Miller came into camp with expectations that he would start in Hartford. Instead, he wowed everybody that he played with, with his gap control, his speed, his physicality. And he's now on the second pair with Jacob Truba. So it's a glimpse at the future. If he can really play well and play as good as he did during camp during the season, the Rangers defense gets a little more sturdy than it, people thought it would be. Jack Johnson gets relegated now to third line minutes, which hallelujah. Oh God, he should be relegated to the press box, but that's a separate issue. Uh, we will see how he plans out. I don't think that their leash is going to be long with him because they do have Brendan Smith who could be an adventure in his own right, but still a little bit more serviceable, I think, than Johnson would be. Zabanajad didn't commit to playing opening day, but it's announced that he will be playing opening day. He did miss time with COVID-19. We thought it was a quarantine. It was not. He was actually out sick with COVID. He's back. He's been practicing. The lineup is intact. It's looking nice and flashy. Uh, KZB line is cooking on top. Artemi Panarin, Strom, Kako is the second line. Edel centering Lafreniere and Julian Godier is the third line. And I think it's going to be Howden centering Lemieux and DiGiuseppe is the fourth. But Kevin Rooney could slot in there. We'll see how that works. But that line isn't the main focus point for the New York Rangers. To go back to Miller for a second, how would you feel if I called you a praying mantis? Do you know that he was referred to as a praying mantis by Quinn? Just the the ability that he has to play defense with well, his stick. Jump. Yeah, he had to be said. That's a good thing. I oh, think no. somebody else has that nickname. <sighs> praying mantis. Nope. Maybe we call that. I don't know. Do you call uh, that? There is. That is. My, behind my I'm back. Gonna, I'm going to look this up while our interview's playing, and when we come back, I'll find it because there's someone that has the nickname the praying mantis. I know that for a fact. And if it's not, I'm going to look like an idiot. But I do think there is somebody with a praying mantis nickname. Uh, and the last thing is everyone knows Alexei Lafreniere for his skill, his talent. He's the number one overall pick. But in scrimmage, he absolutely leveled Libor Hayek. And when we watched him play at the World Juniors last year when he won MVP, the most impressive part of his game is that he had the skill, he had the finishing ability, the passing ability. But he finishes checks, and he was defensively responsible. And I think that people are underestimating that aspect of his game a little bit coming into the NHL. He's young. He might not be the best two-way forward right off the bat, but he's not going to be a liability on his own end, similar to how Capo Caco was most of last year. This kid is fully versed on how to play the game of hockey, and I think that we're going to be pleasantly surprised with how he is able to hold himself all around. So I think that we're going to have a fun time watching that. I think that the Rangers are going to be very competitive, and I think that opening night tomorrow is going to be something really special. We're going to go to a quick break before we go to the interview. Tomorrow on uh, Twitter, YouTube, and everything, we might go live one more time just to break down the Rangers and Islanders matchups. So don't miss that. Check out our social media at BackCheckPod, and don't go anywhere for the interview. 30 seconds. Hey, everybody. It's Brendan here. Do you have old jerseys? What about old hockey equipment? Rather than throw these items out, our friends over at Ultramite would love to have them. This nonprofit converts jerseys into reusable face masks. The same face mask the New York Rangers wore in the bubble this past postseason. The old equipment you donate will be given to less fortunate children throughout the state. It doesn't matter what team you root for. Let's all come together to make a difference and grow the sport of hockey. To learn more, head to Ultramite.com. That's Ultramite.com.
what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Back Check. Stefan and Brendan here, and we're joined now by Brandon Hawkins, right wing for the Fort Wayne Comets of the ECHL. Brandon, how you doing today? Good, boys. How are you? Doing great. Stefan, you want to kick things off? Yes, I will. So, start off, you're from Michigan. Did you grow up a Red Wings fan? Yep, I, I grew up a Detroit Red Wings fan through and through. Um, I My dad was good friends with the Hatchers growing up, and I played with Chase, so it was... I was always around that that atmosphere, so I, I had to be a, a diehard fan growing up. Well, I mean, that paid off when you were younger. The last couple of years, not so much, but they're looking to improve. Uh, is there a player you watched on the Red Wings or someone else in the NHL that you tried to emulate your, your game after? Uh, growing up, it would have been Brett Hull. Uh, I would consider myself to be a shooter, and I tried to I try to find spaces on the ice, the, the dead ice that, that he did when he played, and put myself in a position to score goals, and I, I followed that quite seriously when I was younger, and then now it's it's a little different. I try to emulate my game a little after Jamie Ben now being a little more gritty, but still have the offensive ability to score. You get into the same type of altercations that Jamie Ben does every once in a while. If I have to fight, I'll fight. It's just <laughs> it just depends on when and where. Exactly. So is that something that's allowed in the ECHL? I know a lot of our audience might not be familiar with the rules. Do they allow fighting in the East Coast Hockey League? Yep, same same rules the NHL fight five in a major and then that's it come back awesome so you started at the ncaa level well, i should say you started but you played at the ncaa level and you played at bowling green and northeastern so what was your favorite part about collegiate hockey to take us through a little bit of that process for both schools and, and what that was like so i let's see i ended up committing the bowling green out of north american league when i was 18 years old and collegiate hockey in general is nuts because you go there and Bowling Green has a small barn, but the ceiling's low and they pack like between four and 5,000 people in there a night. So it's nuts every single night you play there. Like they have the, like the student section is called the bleacher creatures and they absolutely love hockey more than most of the players. Like <laughs> it, That's how much fun it is. Like they, they make it such a fun experience there. And the people just in the town know who you are. It's that's a small town experience that that I didn't really understand until I got there. But it was so much fun. And then transferring to a school being Northeastern, you end up in a, a big city with with a whole lot of uh, NCAA hopes because it's hockey East and and you have so many NHL draft picks on each team. It's it's a little bit different, but the expectation is still the same. Like you're you're wanted to win in both spots. Um, the small town feel is probably a little crazier, but there there's nothing like playing in like a bean pot or a hockey's final when TD Garden's packed with twenty thousand people, and somehow like we we won our our first bean pot in thirty years while I was there, and there was there had to be over twenty thousand people in TD Garden. That's the loudest building I've ever been in. So take us through that experience. What was that like? winning the bean pot. Uh, well, we had probably the best line in college hockey being Adam Gaudet, Dylan Secura, and Nolan Stevens. So they were an absolute wagon. Anytime they were on the ice, it was usually a goal. So they, I would say they, they carried a lot of the team through that whole year. But going into the bean pot, like, we kind of knew we had the team that we could win, but we had to get through Boston College, which was unbelievable that first year. Like, uh, see, they had Sanford and different guys like that. So yeah. it was it was so much fun and, and such an experience. Like we got through the semifinal going in the final. We're like, all right, we have a chance. Like, and Adam Goddard put the team on his back and had a hat trick and just took us home. 
I guess when you got that type of talent, that's the uh, the kind of story. Right? But hey, you were on the bench, you were on the ice with it, so you got to win it. Exactly. Who cares who scores? You got to win the bean pot. Exactly. He, he won the Holy Baker, so can anybody really be mad? Exactly. I mean, hey, you got to do something to win that award. They don't just give that out to any chump. No. <laughs> so, uh, what current NHLers have you played against or with, and are there any good stories that come with it? Um, let's see. I grew up with Dylan Larkin. So I played with I played with Larkin's brother, and I was around for the whole D boss area, the whole D boss era, if you want to say. Okay. And this was when he still played roller hockey. So his best friend at the time was Evan Gazinski, and they both started making those YouTube videos. But they were like they were hilarious, and he was so good at that age. Like you knew, you knew he was going to be in the NHL at some point. Like his skating ability was that good when when he was like 13, 14 years old. Like that's the scary part. Do you still talk to Dylan from time to time or it's more of just, you know, time to time, time to time when I'm home, um, we, we all play in uh, this league called East side elite, which is run by Steve Alexi. Um, DeBrincat plays in it. Alexi plays in it. Wierenski, um, Lark when he gets the chance, um, a couple guys from the wings, Wachowski, I'm trying to think other guys that play in the league. It's been a couple of years since I've been living in New, in New England, but um, it's it's nuts. Like if you if you did a little background into East Side Elite, like every year there's there has to be at least over 15, 20 NHLers in the league. So is it like similar to the Beauty League, like that type of setup? Or? Say kind of the same setup, not as big as like having four thousand fans a night for summer league. Yeah. We play out of a, a city owned rink and. We had, there's like an all-star game and stuff, but it's like, it's high-end hockey. Like guys could get in shape for their season strictly playing in that. Like that's how fast it is. Have you played against any goalies that are in the NHL right now or played with? Uh, well, Cam Johnson just signed with uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets. I grew up with Cam. We won a national championship together playing uh, midget uh, travel hockey. We didn't even play AAA at the time. So like background myself i didn't play triple a hockey really till i was my last year midget and then i got an opportunity to go play junior but before that me and cam played together um let's see guys that have played that played in the nhl or that currently play i shoot on jimmy howard and andrew hammond all summer all the time um they work with a guy by the name of rob liddell he runs uh, goalie coaches and he's top notch so i get to shoot on those guys all the time but uh it really shows like their work ethic, just working with him alone, because like the stuff they do is absolutely nuts. Do you take a step back when you're doing that and go, wow, I'm actually shooting against NHL caliber players. Does it hit you in that moment? Or is it more just, I'm just practicing shooting and doing what I do. It's more of me just practicing what I do. It's in like a couple of years ago, I trained at a place called Twist Peak. All the, all those NHL guys work out there. So like I'm around them on a daily basis and we all know each other and, I have the utmost respect for every one of those guys. So it was, it was kind of cool that summer that we all became like decently friendly towards each other. So it was now knowing these guys working with them in the summertime, it's, it's comfortable. Like we, there's no issues. That's awesome. So I'll take us through your journey a little bit. Obviously you go undrafted, but you power through and you even get to play in an NHL and an AHL game. So take us through that. Um, let's see. I started out uh, playing travel hockey in Michigan. Uh, I played for, Troy Sting, the Rochester Rattlers, and the Summit Plastics, all uh, travel teams are what most people call double-A hockey. And then uh, my final year of midgets, I got an opportunity to play for Little Caesars, which I played as a defenseman. 
And I ended up going, I signed a tender to play in the North American League for the Texas Tornado. They are, they're not a team anymore. They're the Fort Worth Brahmas now, I believe. Um, I played that year as a forward. Um, I won Rookie of the Year in the North American League and was drafted into USHL by Sioux City. But halfway through my null year, I committed to Bowling Green. So it was kind of just finding a niche, which my niche was shooting at the time. So once that happened, like I kind of put all into of learning how to shoot. And I always shot the puck pretty hard. It was was being able to shoot the puck at an elite level all the time, whether it was in stride or in different situations. And I finally took hold of that going into my first year of junior. But playing an AHL game and, and everything like that, I got the end of my senior year with Northeastern, we went into the hockey East final and I kind of had an idea that I might get the opportunity to play in the AHL game, but I had a, I had a really good hockey East final game and my agent texted me and goes, Hey, you have a pretty good opportunity to go to Wilkes-Barre after this is all said and done. And I mean, who wouldn't want to do that? Like a, a franchise owned by Mario Lemieux, you have Crosby, you have, um tom kostopoulos who has over 1200 professional games like the history behind everything there is is nuts and plus Stephen alexi who's like an older brother to me played there and then was a black ace who went to Cup with pittsburgh so like it was it was a no-brainer to try to go and play there and they they welcomed me with open arms and and i think i played five six games left in the season when i went up right after college yeah, I mean, we we went interns at Bing last year for the Bing Devils, and every time Scranton came, like there was a little bit of a buzz. You know, they yeah. do have that kind of aura that brings with it. But before I continue with the AHL, I want to go back because I missed one thing. You did have a transfer year, so yeah. did you have to take a gap between playing uh, one season to the next. Uh, so I, when I transferred, I left in the beginning of the first semester, so I had to wait until the second semester started at Northeastern, okay. in which I went there, and then I practiced for a full year from Christmas to Christmas. So really, I only got to play three and a half years of college. All right. So how was that adjustment? Because obviously not playing the game for a full semester is. Uh, well, it sucks. Let's yeah. put it that way. But I mean, I had the opportunity to practice with guys like Zach Aston Reese and Secure and Goddard Stevens. So it, it wasn't it wasn't too hard to to get back in the swing of things when you're trying to compete with those guys on a daily basis. They push you to be to be a pro and they were probably the the biggest example of pros in college at the time. So I kind of just tried to to compete against them on a daily basis. And, and that's what made me a better player and ready to, to play once the opportunity came. You talk about getting them ready, but you had 30 over 30 points your senior year. So maybe they were getting ready to play against you sometimes too. <laughs> I, I, I don't know about that, but I, I like to think that I, I had pretty good line mates and I just put myself in a position to get the puck in. And I got the chance to play with Tyler Madden, who probably would have won the Holy Baker last year, or what is it, two years ago, when he broke his hand before he signed with um, L.A. Like, yep. he was so good. Like, And all I had to do was go sit on the back door with my stick down. Yeah, actually, a buddy of mine growing up that I played with uh, went to Avon with Tyler, and they were roommates there. So we have that connection in common. He was always talking about how good he is. Like, you could just tell that he's oh. that much better than he just it's it's not that he like he, he thinks it on a different level but the stuff he pulls off in games is is stuff a lot of guys pull off in roller hockey like that's how good his hands are i know that stefan loves his kayaks ellie oh yeah that's what said they added that to nhl 21 it's great yeah <laughs> so let's go back now to the ahl and 
you said you got to play in five games. What was that experience like? And do you, obviously you remember your first goal. So who was it on, you know, that type of thing. How was that? Let's see. Um, so coming up, like I signed the first phone call I got was from Bill Garrett. So that was probably the coolest thing I could have ever expected ever. Um, being, he was one of the players I watched growing up. Um, we, I got called up and everybody in the locker room introduced themselves, said, hi, my name is blah, blah, blah. And welcomed me in. Like I was like, I was one of the boys right off the bat and they were in a playoff push at the time. So like, I, I didn't really expect to come in and, and play right away. And they stuck me right in the first game. I played third line, right wing. And I ended up playing with Joseph Blandizi and uh, Joseph Camarosa. So Kramer is now on the Ice Hogs and Blandizi is now on the Montreal Canadiens. So right through there, like to be thrown with those two guys was was pretty cool right off the bat. They're both veterans and have been playing quite a bit. Blandizi has a 50 goal year in the OHL. Everybody knew him. Uh, my first goal was against nobody because I got an empty net. <laughs> um, I, I ended up, I don't know why or how I got thrown out there at the end of the game in a crunch position because that not one time that ever happened in college. So uh, one of our guys blocked a shot and I kind of just took off second nature and ended up with a partial breakaway for an empty net goal from uh, Jared Burton. He plays, I think he plays for the Rochester American. And then I had a goal that next night we played a three and three. I had a goal that next night in Lehigh Valley. So I had back-to-back nights scoring and it was, it was unbelievable because the Lehigh Valley night I scored against my, my freshman uh, roommate, Mark Friedman was on the ice at the same time. That's awesome. So hand him a dash while I'm out there. <laughs> Definitely. There you got that little bragging right now in your back pocket forever. I, I Maybe, but he's got an NHL game. So I, I can't talk. <laughs> still got that goal against him on the ice, though. It's true. <laughs> Pretty much going to how COVID, I know we talked off, off air about it, but going to how COVID's really affected you getting back and playing this year. So coming out of last year, um, I signed with Toledo. Toledo's close to home. Um, I had a couple of buddies that play there. They, they treat their guys top-notch like an NHL club, and I was all for it because – I was playing with guys I grew up with, like Shane Burschback, TJ Hansick, Tyler Spezia. Spezia, you guys might know from roller hockey. Um, and then after COVID hit, we, everybody was like, what's going to happen? So Toledo pushed back, and they were supposed to start later than everybody else. And then finally, we got in a position where they called us and were like, hey, guys, we're opting out. Like, that's the end. That's it. Luckily for me, I was living in – uh, New Hampshire with my fiance and her dad owns a rink. They run the Northern Cyclones of the USBHL. He owns and runs that program. So I was skating five days a week as it was. So it wasn't too much of an issue for me. Like I've been doing that the entire summer. And then I came back here to get ready, back to Michigan to get ready for the season with a couple of guys. I know they're skating right here that are pros and Toledo opted out. So I think within maybe 30 minutes of Toledo opting out. I got a phone call from Fort Wayne and I couldn't, couldn't say no, there's no, no chance. Like, uh, Sean Zidlowski, he's played, I think he's played 10 years pro. He's like an older brother. I mean, he's played there every year and he loves it there. So it was, it was no question that I was going to take full advantage of the situation and go play there while I can. But at the end of last year, it kind of stunk because I tore my groin in wheeling 
and had to go through like two months of rehab with probably the, the best physical therapist in, in New England being Patchy Ganny. And he fixed me completely, fixed my stride, fixed everything, and then gave me the opportunity to play, and then COVID happened. So it kind of sucked, but in the, in a way, you got to battle through it, and I, I found a place. So hopefully it all ends up working out, and we get there at the end of the month and, and finally get to start playing. So when does your season start up? Uh, February 12th, officially. All right, so you guys got how many games this year now? Uh, we're going to end up playing 50 games still. All right, though. So you got a full schedule pretty much. I mean, yeah. not a full, but a jam-packed, kind of like the NHL type season. And there's going to be a lot of three degrees. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> we wish you the uh, the best of luck in this upcoming season. Oh, well, thank you. Hopefully yeah. it ends up being a great one. Yeah. Last question. Um, what's your take on the uh, division realignment for this NHL season? Are you happy about it? Do you like it? I love it. I think it, I think it adds some spice to the teams some teams are going to get to see teams they haven't seen in the previous seasons and it's going to be a lot different for for the average watcher of hockey like it could be more entertaining i mean i like the idea of bringing the the detroit colorado rivalry back i think that would be cool um i feel like the east division is going to be absolutely nuts with philly boston new york like that it's going to be nuts every night every single night there's going to be top-notch elite hockey I think uh, somebody tweeted out there's going to be 116 days. It's 116 days yeah. consecutive with NHL hockey. <laughs> we're we're with that. With that. Yeah, we're, we're ready to go for that. It's been too long. Oh, I agree. 100%. <laughs> so you got a cup pick? Who do, who do you think is going to take it home? Um, I'd be silly to say that if that Philly doesn't have a chance to take it, like they're an absolute wagon as they were last year. But at the same time, I could see, I could see Vegas taking it home or Tampa again. I mean, three three legitimate options right there. Yeah. To me, the only one that got left out was Colorado. I think that adding Saad there, they're a yeah. different breed too, offensively at least. They they were already stupid fast and they yeah. got faster. Yeah. Uh, I know uh, one of my dad's buddies is the AGM there, and he was telling me watching McKinnon play on a daily basis, just you, you can't imagine how fast his hands move, how fast his feet move. It's, it's unreal. The, he, he has speed skater feet with hockey player hands like it doesn't yeah. it doesn't make sense and sometimes it moves too fast for him you can see him kind of cross himself up he can't realize how fast his hands are moving yeah but then he gets to the outside nobody catches it no, it's, like he's four he's four steps past anybody that tries to catch him it's i mean it's a joy watching all these guys play but him mcdavid you see just a, another gear to their game that's just not touched by anybody else every time they touch the puck it's a scoring chance yep well, okay. Imagine being that good that you cross yourself up. Like, just think about that for a second. Like, you're that good that you're you're confusing yourself. That's just crazy. Oh, especially for him with that speed. Can you imagine he crossed himself up the wrong way? I think he hurt himself. Yeah, well, he almost did <laughs> that. That, that, that one goal he had against Minnesota where he crossed the defenseman up, he was close to almost toe-picking himself, but he was able yeah. to maintain his balance. It's just uh, – I, I, like, was uh, – average defenseman playing hockey and i can't imagine having that type of skill man i wouldn't know what to do with it i i don't know how to skate backwards i i <laughs> would just turn and start going back forward toward my net and hope that he doesn't walk me somehow some way i play defense i can't skate backwards so <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I play goalie i can't skate backwards so. <laughs> all right well brandon thank you very much for coming on the show we really appreciate it, it was a great time and and hopefully we get to talk soon have a great season Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks for having me. It was a, it was a great time. Anytime you guys want to have me back, let me know. Yeah, we'll see. No, I'm kidding. <laughs>
All right, boys. Have a good one. See yeah, you. you too. Take care. Well, that was Brandon Hawkins with uh, Fort Wayne of the ECHL. Awesome interview. And we'll be right back after another 30-second break right now. So stay with us. Don't go anywhere. Hey, guys. Stefan here. Each night on Long Island, 180,000 residents will go hungry, 39% of which are kids who have no ability to control their situation. Our friends over at Long Island Hockey Co., are trying to help as many families as possible. Each hat sold on their website will provide 50 meals for food insecure Long Islanders. Head to longislandhockeyco.com and let's help the people in our community. What an interview, Brendan. What an interview with Brendan Hawkins. It's very cool to have our, you know, a player on to talk about a guy that also played in the AHL. So, granted he's on a new team now, um, he was just signed officially today. So it's awesome to see and hear about the play going up with Dylan Larkin. I mean, yeah, I wonder how he felt, you know, I wonder if they had conversations about the all-star game last year. And that, and, and that brings me to my next point is he was named the captain. And I think it's a great move for Detroit. They need to name one. He seems like the born leader. And again, I think he loves this and I, it's a chance for him to really prove himself. He's a superstar in this league, but I, I don't think he gets the credit of how good he is. And now, you know, he's focused on scoring and obviously being there. Detroit's in a rebuild. But now he has a new role, and it's a very important role with all the youngsters they have. See a guy like Larkin do more than besides impact the score sheet, but be an actual leader in the locker room. And granted, before getting the C, he probably was a leader, but now he's getting the recognition. And he, he feels the C that this Detroit team has had tremendous captains throughout their, throughout their history. Yeah, I mean, he really might be one of the longest tenure Red Wings right now on that roster with the turnover they've had. But before we completely move on, he was being very modest in that interview because we were talking about it and I wanted to see, you know, he was talking about the college stats and all that. And he was saying he was third liner, whatever it was. So I put Brandon Hawkins into elite prospects and whatever it was. 30, over 30 points twice in his NCAA career in 40 games. That's not a, uh, a small feat. So he's a solid NCAA player. He got his chance, scored a couple in the AHL and, I mean, that, that was just an awesome time talking. Great guy. And yes, but to your point now, Dylan Larkin, obvious choice there for the captaincy because of what he's done for that organization over the last five, six years. He's been through the motions with them, right? So now you're going to let him lead that rebuild is basically what they're saying to him. And he's got all the skill, right? I mean, he still hasn't clicked 100% to what we thought he would be his first rookie year when he was flying around the ice and finishing it off. But the team that he was on then compared to the team he's on now is a little bit uh, different too. So we will see how he starts to build with these young guys. Cause the amount of offensive talent they have coming in is unreal. So during that interview, Carter Hart coughed the puck up <laughs> right to Sidney Crosby who shows that he is still Sidney Crosby. doesn't matter what year Crosby will do Crosby things. But the more important thing is on the third goal of the game, the second one for the flyers, Nolan Patrick was given credit for the goal, and that is just great for him. Because, again, he really hasn't had the opportunity to prove himself in this league. And game one, to get off to a start like that, it's got to mean so much to him and his teammates. It's just great to see. Yeah, that's a that's a big Gino to get right off the bat there. Kind of wash away all the emotions from the last year and a half. But So, so good for him. There was also something I was watching. He's been playing the rest of the, the shifts, but Jake Gensel got popped. He did get popped. He was that popped. by Couturier or Voracek? 
I, I don't know who. I think it was Voracek. I saw a three in the number. I saw mine, so I think it was Voracek. So it was by the end wall, and he got a kind of shoulder head first into it. He's still breathing heavy on the bench, so that's something to look out for. That's not even like a concussion. It's like a collarbone thing, and he's been hurt with shoulder injuries in the past too, so <laughs> that would be a rough start for Pittsburgh if he has some type of injury in between periods that they have to take him out for. We'll see how that goes, but let's move on to, to some on this date in, in hockey history, will we? Yeah, so, Brendan, as always, we have some tremendous dates. And when I looked up this first one, I thought I clicked the wrong sport. But we started off with Babe Ruth. On this day, January 13th, 1926, Babe Ruth drops the puck for a ceremonial face-off at Madison Square Garden prior to a game between the Montreal Canadiens and the New York Americans. The Canadiens defeat the Americans 2-1 to in front of a crowd of more than 10,000. Now, I can imagine... Him wobbling onto the ice. Maybe he fell. Nobody knows. But Babe Ruth getting part of hockey history as well for this date in a long, long time ago. I can't do the math, but 1926 is a very, very long time ago. Yeah, odds are he was a couple of beers deep. So Babe Ruth might not remember it either with the, the stories we've heard of his playing career. But that's crazy. Not often you see the two sports coincide. So that's pretty cool. In 1940, the Rangers defeat the Toronto Maple Leafs 4-1 to extend their winning streak to 10 games, their unbeaten streak to 19, and their road unbeaten streak to 11. The 10-game winning streak match 1972-73 is still their longest in their history. Goaltender David uh, Dave Kerr excuse me, extends his personal unbeaten streak to 19 games, a Rangers record that still stands in 1994, until 1994, which Richter is kind of good at that. Uh, but what, what can I say? Another... Another week goes by, another winning streak on our. I was just gonna say, you know, you don't have to apologize. I know, I know it said Dave on the sheet, but I guarantee his birth name's David. Yeah, I, I was just kind of, I saw Dave and I just assumed. So you know what they say when you assume. But the year 1940 kind of rattled me because that's all Rangers fans heard until '94 was 1940. It took them 54 years to win a cup, and we're on the same pace now. So good job, boys. Same pace, same 54 year pace in between cups. Gotta love it for Rangers fans. Stop! You're not 54 years away. Uh, I mean, they're closer to 54 than they are zero. Uh, is that true? Their last cup was 94. It's 26 years. Yeah, you're so right. I, I, uh, they're close. It's one year away from being halfway in the middle. Yeah, but they, but you're right. They are closer. I, I'm telling you, it's been a long time. Uh, uh, how about being an Islander fan? 70, we're talking 80 uh, early 80s, so that's that's a very long time as well. But I'm not, so who cares? The Islanders can never win a cup, and I'll be very content. See, so you rather so if you had an option of, you know, the Rangers won't win a cup in your lifetime, you would rather die than see the Islanders win one. If somebody told me the Rangers were not going to win a cup in my lifetime, my next question would be, will the Islanders? Yes. So it, it would pain you. In it your, would pain me watching the Islanders win a cup if the Rangers did not. So honestly, Brendan, I hope in the last year of your existence, the Islanders win the cup, and that's what kills you. I mean, that would be fine as long as I saw a Rangers cup before that. Yeah, well, all right, let's move on. Once, once I see a Rangers cup, that, that becomes irrelevant. Yeah. I the Islanders win. I saw my Rangers cup. I just want to see one. Oh, I, I, would love to, I would love to see one as well that's not in the video game. So don't, don't do that with your mic again. That's very annoying. Anyway, 1979. The Triple Crown line plays together for the first time in the Los Angeles Kings' 7-3 victory against the Red Wings in Detroit. Center Marcel Dion scores four goals, including a 300th NHL career, playing between right-wing Dave Taylor and left-wing Charlie Simmer, who gets the spot two days after being recalled from the minors. Taylor scores a goal, and Simmer contributes an assist. Nothing more you can say about that. That's just yeah. dominancy. 
It's a paragraph right there. In 2006, Capitals rookie Alex Ovechkin scores all three goals in a Washington 3-2 victory against the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim at Honda Center. Beautiful place. We went there for hockey. Uh, in his first NHL hat trick, Ovechkin gives the last place Capitals the win when he beats John Sebastian Jaguar. <laughs> That's a throwback of a name. At 3.04 of overtime for his 30th of the year. So th- over 30 in his first year. Uh, was it his first season when he had that on the back twirling? I yeah. think it was, right? That was against Brian Boucher. Brian Boucher. I remember them talking about that on the broadcast. I, I watched that goal and I still, I just don't understand how. How he did it? Yeah. I don't think anybody ever will understand how he does. Just pure instinct and a little bit of luck too, because it's got to find a way into the net. Yeah. You ready for this one? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's go. Uh, 2007, on this date, Kings goalie. I'm going to try this, Brandon. This is why I'm letting you read this. I got this. I got this. Utaka Fukafuji. Fukafuji. I'm going to say that is wrong. Um, Why? I'm going to go and say it's Fuku. I mean, Uh, bleep, bleep, bleep. Now I got to say this show is uh, (laughs) for audiences. That's great. Anyway. My man Yutaka becomes the first Japanese native to play in the NHL when he relieves Barry Brust to start the third period of a 6-5 loss at the St. Louis Blues. Uh, Yutaka enters the game with the Blues leading 5-4. He makes four saves, allows one goal to Dennis Weidman, and winds up with the loss. That blows. And that it makes his first NHL start three nights later. So that's great, though. First Japanese player to make it. <laughs> you just butchered that name, though. Three I did flyers, by the way. Three two fires. Yeah, Joel Farabee, little beauty of a goal. And how much of a delay am I on? How much time you got left in yours? No, I don't know. I just no, it's three two. That's unfortunate because I have <laughs> oh, you know what happened? So guys, when we were on the break with the interview, my computer decided, you know what, we're just gonna shut off today. That's that's how it's gonna go. And I guarantee right now I'm not up to the live. Let's well, I see. Got, I got one more goal for my over, so we're we're looking That's nice not, here. You're right, Brendan. I was uh four minutes behind watching this the whole entire time. There you go. So All right. let's move yeah, on. The so Joel Farabee three point game for him so far. But in 2015, the Buffalo Sabres honor Hockey Hall of Fame goaltender Dominic Hasek by raising his number 39 jersey to the Rafters, of first Niagara Center, now KeyBank Center, prior to their game against the Detroit Red Wings. Of Hasek's 389 NHL wins, 234 came with the Sabres from 1992 to 2001. He also wins the Vesna Trophy six times and the Hart Trophy twice while playing for Buffalo. Best going I don't know if you're going to see that. Honestly, he, he might be. I don't know if you're ever going to see a goalie win a Hart Trophy again like that. I think he's the best goalie to ever play. It, so you're better than Raw and Brodeur? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think just – Again, we talk about goalies transcending the game, and while he wasn't really a positional goalie, he was more of a sporadic diving, it worked. It's what yeah. worked for you. I mean, you look at Lundqvist playing back in his crease. That doesn't work for probably every other goalie in the NHL, but it worked for him. Bordeaux playing the puck the way he styled. You know, something about Bordeaux's play, which is so interesting, is he had such a good glove hand that he would beat you. He yeah. would lean into your blocker side because he knew you wanted to shoot glove side so bad, and he just whipped that thing out. That's what worked for him. But Hasek. I mean, that's a, he was a spectacle to watch. You know, you talk about watching Barzal on the ice or guys like that, McKinnon with the puck on their stick. You watch Hasek. It was guaranteed five or six times per game. It was going to be an unreal game-saving play or whatnot. So, yeah. He's like a, a poised Yaroslav Askarov. Yeah, so he's pretty much Yaroslav Askarov is Hasek, but with a lot more issues 
positioning wise. I think Hasek, it was all calculated risk. I think with Askarov, he didn't pass the math class, and it's all on, you know, no math is being done. That's just, you know, that's what I think. But let's go on to uh, 2018 Islander fans. Matt Barzal becomes the second rookie in New York Islanders history to have a multiple five point games in a single season. He joins Brian Trottier when he has two goals and three assists in a 7 2 victory against the New York Rangers at Madison Square Garden. The only other players to accomplish this feat in the NHL's expansion ever is Peter Stastny, Paul Stastny's dad, Anton Stastny, and Marion Stastny, all with the Quebec Nordiques. Damn. What a family. I'm assuming they're all related, correct? He had a ton of family in the NHL. Yeah. Oh, wait. There's more to this. Oh, on the same night. A little sneaky one here, Brennan. Just has McDavid the sneaky when he plays. Exactly. Edmonton Oilers center Connor McDavid celebrates his 21st birthday with two assists and a 3-2 overtime win against the Vegas Golden Knights at T-Mobile Arena to reach 200 points. The Oilers and Vegas' home winning streak, seven games and point streak, 9-0-1. Hey, that's pretty good. A lot of streaks. A lot of streaks going on here. I mean, so, I mean that happens on the same night that Barzola does it. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, you don't usually see that, but hey, one of them's a lot better than the other one. All um, right, let's close this show out. I know everybody wants to go watch hockey. I know we want to go watch hockey too. But well, first up, Brendan, we have a couple more. What's what's left on the schedule tonight? Top of my head, what's the next game? There are none. This is the only one, and we're missing it. That's a lie. There's a lot. No, we got the Maple Leafs playing the Canadians at 7.30. We got the Lightning Blackhawks. We got the Edmonton Oilers and Canucks at 10. And then at 10.30, we got the nightcap with the Avalanche and Blues, which is going to be an absolute wild tilt. The last time they played was uh, Nazim Kadri with, like, no time on the clock, I believe. Yes. Yeah, you are correct. So I took the under in that game, feeling a little risky. So how's your bet looking right now? So this over is probably going to hit. Knock on wood right now, Stefan. I'm hollow. Oh, Stefan. Yeah, so <laughs> I got the over, the under. I'll find it for you. I'm trying to think what else I took. I took the lightning by the spread. Okay. And Definitely doable, but that's a tra- I feel like that's a trap a little bit. It's definitely a trap, but I like them. It's a trap. And I, I took the Maple Leafs money line, which scares me more than the lightning spread. I mean, that's tough. I feel like all these Canadian games, I know – it, I feel like they're just going to be close, tough battles. I know every other game in each division is is tight given the situation with the standings, but I don't know. Canada, Canada just just a different animal. But you know, to end the show, speed skate. We're going to go over the Hart Trophy, Vezina Trophy, and Calder Trophy winners that we we project. And the great thing about hockey is that anything's possible. But I'll kick it off. Hart Trophy for me, Nathan McKinnon. I'm going to go with him. I think this is the year. He, I mean, he, he is such a tremendous player, and if he could stay healthy. Given Saad as a weapon, the weapons they have on Colorado, the, the ability that he has with the puck on his stick, is, I just think this is going to be the year. And I think, Brendan, you agree with me. I, I did. Uh, I think McKinnon is too good. I think the snub last year, which I do think he was stumped, kind of ticked him off a little bit. And now you, like you said, you add Saad. They're as deep as any team offensively. They might be the deepest. And I just think that they know now is the year, right? They have everything together. They're all healthy. They still don't have that fan pressure. He's just going to go off, and he's going to dominate. And there's only really that, – that division is top four heavy, and the bottom four don't really have as much of a chance. So I think he's just going to have a field day going off in that division. So he's my pick too. So based on what you're saying about divisions, this is why I went with my Vesna choice. I'm going with Vasilevsky. I think there are – Tukarask, 
great option. Hellebuck is going to have a tough time, but there are other goals in the league that could have better years. I just think if Vasilevsky plays the way he played last year, going against weaker opponents, I think it's just an advantage for him. I think that's why he takes it. I agree with you, but I didn't want to have two straight picks that we agreed on. So I went with a little outside candidate and Robin Leonard. I know that they're expected to split a little bit, but I feel like it's going to be Leonard's crease. And the way that he looked in the playoffs with them, how many shutouts he had, how locked down Vegas was in front of him. They add Petrangelo out of that defense. It's a good group. And they're in that same Colorado division. So I think that they're going to be a very good team. They might be one or two flip-flop with Colorado. And if they're going to beat out Colorado for that one seed, I think Leonard is going to be a big part in that. So I could see him making another Vesna push, similar to what he had at the Islanders. I mean, I I would love that. Now, granted, it depends on the amount of games played. So you, yeah, correct. Because, because I do think that we're going to see a lot of goalie split time. I think um, this gets to your next point for the Calder. You can start it off with who you think is going to win Calder, and then I'll, I'll banter with you. So I got my boy Igor Shesterkin winning the Calder, and there's two reasons why I picked him. One, he is the starting goaltender. So he's going to play over 35 games. I, you can book that right now. And I think if he pushes the Rangers to the postseason, which the only way the Rangers can get to the postseason is if he pushes them, then that will be similar to what it was last season where he was almost a Calder nominee after 12 games because of what he did for the Rangers' chances at postseason success. So if he does that again and can replicate that push and be obvious that the reason the Rangers are making this playoff push is because he's standing on his head, I don't know how you don't give him the Calder. So that's why he's my choice because he's going to have the obvious – route to get there right you look at Lafreniere you're going to look at your pick who you're going to say in a second they have to produce they have to go out there and there's an uncertainty can they produce will they produce Chesterkin is going to have the opportunity opening night to run with that starting job so that's why I like him to win the Calder Trophy yeah I think he could do it but I think his play is not necessarily going to be the deciding factor I think it's a defense in front of him that will allow him to have that year because, granted, he could play lights out, standing on his head each and every night. Yep. They're going to be a, if the defense is shaky to start, there are going to be some nights where he doesn't have a chance. Well, is the defense better this year or worse this year with Miller in it? I think it's better, but it's still the same question mark. Yes, another year under their belts, but I think there's a lot of question marks on can they take that next step. Now, granted, right. he went 10 and 2 with that defense in front of him. No, fair, fair. But again, this is a different division. They're not, they're, they're, uh, but he still hard. played the same teams. Oh, yes, but I just think that it's going to come down. He, he could definitely win it. I could see him winning it, but I think it's going to matter if his defense could play a little more respectable in front of him. Because granted, like I said, he can make a six save every night to give the Rangers the biggest chance to win. But if he allows four goals, again, because defense in front of him makes a mistake, someone gets crossed up, that does impact his stats, and that would impact his ability to win the Calder. Now, I will throw a hefty amount of money that he does not allow four goals a game. No, 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 no. I'm just, you know, I thought, but let's look at Hellebuck. He wins it. And Rask had a better year, statistically had a better year, but it came down to the team in front of him. So I think that could go that could go both ways. Yep. Um, so for my pick, I'm going with Tim Stutzla of the um, Ottawa Senators. He was taken this year third overall. And I think there are a lot of great options for the caller. But the one thing for me is that he's going to play top line minutes. And I think that is crucial because, you know, you look at other guys like a Lafreniere. You know, he's playing third line minutes, and granted, during the season, we I think he'll get moved up, possibly that second line, he'll get more playing time, whether that be on a, a power play unit, all that stuff. But Tim Stutzer is on a, a team that's in a complete rebuild. Uh, definitely offensive is the focus. They get Danov in there, Brady Kachuk, of course. 
he'll have more opportunities to score and put points. I mean, I don't think the center is going to be that good. But at the same time, look at what Pajot did. Centers weren't that good. Look at what Duclair did. Centers weren't that good. And they were playing on the top line as well. I think Stutza has a very big opportunity compared to other rookies to have an unreal season this year. Now, the one thing I'll say, I agree, he's going to have a, I think he's going to be a great player. I don't know if he'll be able to beat out the two Rangers, and, and here's why. Because we've talked about how tough the all-Canadian division is. And when you talk about the, Met, the, the Metro, the East, right, and all the rivalries there, that's even tripled in Canada right now. So every night, you're going to get the opponent's best. You're going to get a gritty style. And this is a young kid. So he's not going to have the space he had in the World Juniors for Germany, which he didn't have a lot of space, and he was able to maneuver around. But now you're going to have even less space with NHL-type bodies pressuring you. It's going to be a little bit of an adjustment, especially after playing in a World Junior. This kind of reminds me of Kako, how good he looked when he played in the juniors. He, he went to the Rangers, and all of a sudden, his six foot two frame wasn't pushing around uh, a bigger guy like it was in the junior tournament. So, will he be very good? Yes. Will he have to prove to me over the first couple of games that he can dictate the play like he's done over the course of his career up to now? Yes. So, I can't throw my money in that bag yet. And that's why I took Shesterkin. I didn't take Lafreniere for the same reason. Like what, I think that Shesterkin's the closest bet to get that Calder. What about the guy in Minnesota, Kaprizov? I think I just think I look at I look at the Wild team, and again, I don't know if Zuccarello is back. Is he back healthy? Yeah. Yeah, he's not back healthy. They have a lot of question marks to fill, especially with Koivu gone, and you still have Parise. But this is a guy that could see top line minutes the same way that Stutzla will. I don't know if Minnesota has the opportunity. They're not. They're not a great team, and I, I don't know if Otto is better, but you know Minnesota is going to come down to guys stepping up, and I think if he could step up, maybe he doesn't win the Calder, but he could have a big year and open some eyes because he's not getting, I don't think, as much recognition as he deserves. And for those Islanders fans that are thinking, why are you not mentioning Sorokin? It's because he's not going to play enough. Yeah. It's just with Varlamov there, it's his first season. He's not going to play enough to get Calder recognition. I'm, I'm not saying he's not going to be good because I think he's going to be great, but I don't think this year it's realistic. I mean, Varlamov, I mean, Trot said Varlamov is a starting goalie and we'll go from there. He wants to get Sorokin in as soon as possible, but, you know, he's going to have to ease himself in. We saw Sisterkin play 25 games in the AHL. Again, Sorokin played in the bubble, but nothing emulates NHL game like being in an NHL game. And that'll come down game one. You'll know right away how comfortable he looks. If he plays lights out, great. Doesn't mean you're going to go back to him the next night. That means you could trust him. And if the first game goes and he has a rough time, same thing. Okay, he's going to have a few days off. He'll watch the tape. He'll watch Varlamov. They'll practice. I know they're separating. And a lot of teams are doing this too. We should mention this before we finish up here. A lot of goalies are separating their starters and their backups because in case of COVID hitting, there's no point in have them having them together because that wipes out a whole position. So I don't know what that does for, you know, Fortunately for goaltenders, they don't need chemistry. Yes, you want them working side by side, but it's not going to impact their game if they're separated on the ice. Because again, they don't play together. But at the same time, though, if Varlamov wants to talk to Sorokin about something or he saw, they'll have to go through people. It's not going to be one-on-one working with one another. But yeah, I guess, like you said, Sorokin's not going to be playing. Let me, let me extend an olive branch before we end it real quick. Okay, I'm ready. Like I just mentioned with Chesterkin last season, how we went 10-2, and pushed the Rangers towards the playoffs. They got in not because of their where they were in the standings because of the whole bubble situation, yes, but Chesterkin also got into a car accident. We don't know what would have been the case yeah. there. If the Islanders find themselves on the outside looking in and they're splitting time and goal and all of a sudden Sorokin gets hot and goes on a run and the Islanders team jumps from sixth to like third and they get in the playoffs, 
yes, he might have a chance at winning the Calder then. If he has a Shesterkin-like impact on the playoff run, then yes, I could see him saying, wow, he was that impactful, he could win a Calder. But outside of that, I just don't think the games are going to be there because the Islanders' defense is so good that it, I don't think it's going to come down to them being on the outside looking in, having a, a goaltender come in and needing that much of a push. Yeah, I really I really hope that's not the case, but you make a good point. We saw it with Tal- Tal- Talbot running in New York when Lundqvist went down. But, Brennan, that's, that's it for tonight, and I think that it was another exciting episode. Hockey's back, but, you know, share the big news for, for Sunday coming up here. we got a great guest coming on. Oh, yeah, so I had the pleasure of having a conversation with Dan Rosen, who everyone knows, NHL.com writer. He had a mailbag. I said, you had any advice for me? And we've been talking ever since, and he's coming on this Sunday. Uh, so we're not live this Sunday. It's the only day that he can really fit into a schedule. The Rangers are off that day. Obviously, they play the Islanders on Saturday. So he's going to come on. We're going to have a great interview. It's going to be on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast, you can listen to it. And definitely you want to go download that, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss it because it's going to be a great interview. We're going to get some amazing insight and just an awesome guest to have on. Definitely. And stay tuned tomorrow. I don't know if we decided what time yet we'll be coming on. I know you work, Brendan. I'm fortunately, unfortunately unemployed at the moment, just writing and doing my thing. But definitely look out tomorrow. We'll have the interview posted. We'll have highlights from this episode posted. And we will also talk some Islanders Rangers at some point before tonight's game. So everybody, as always, thanks so much. And we'll let the great voice take us away. The Backcheck is your one-stop shop for NHL news and all things Rangers and Islanders. Thanks for sticking with us for this edition of The Backcheck. Follow the show on social media at Backcheck Pod.